The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin. This Christian walk is not difficult. This Christian walk 
is not difficult. One man just recently said to me, Pastor Ray, I I always feel like I'm condemned. I want to serve Jesus. I am serving Jesus. Then why do I always feel like I'm condemned? Like I'm under judgment? Well, the answer is a very simple answer. The answer is simply because this man and many like him walk with one foot in the world, in the spirit, while attempting also to keep one foot in Jesus. You can't walk with one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus and expect a peaceful, joyful, abiding in Jesus Christ. I want to read for you a very short passage from a new book that was given to me recently. It's a book by Frank Bartleman, B-A-R-T-L-E-M-A-N, Frank Bartleman. He was a revivalist during the turn of the century, early 1900s. He wrote a book entitled How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles, The Story Behind the Azusa Street Revival. That revival was much larger than just Azusa Street. It incorporated many other churches and many other pastors and revivalists and evangelists. This man lays it out in stark, plain English. I want to share just a part of this with you. Now, the danger in my reading this for you, I find that almost always in the preaching of the word, in the sharing of even this message day by day on the radio, is that many people listen to it like like music. It rolls off their shoulders. It gives them a little bit of inspiration. But it's not taken literally. I want you, please, to take literally what I'm about to share with you. This is important. Hear the words. And the rest of this message today is going to be stark if you'll allow it to be stark in your heart. And don't just listen to me as you would. Ezekiel said they came in and listened to him preach, and it was like they were listening to beautiful music. I don't want you to do that, please. Hear it for literally what it means, and then we'll talk about it. Accept a man... Forsake all, said Jesus. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus meant those words literally. The church, since her fall in the early centuries, has had an altogether mistaken conception of her calling and of salvation. All believers are called to a 100% consecration. God has no two standards of consecration. We cannot find in the Bible two standards of consecration. One is called to consecrate their all as well as the other. That is, the pastor is called to consecration. The Christian member is called to total consecration. God has but one purpose. God has but one interest in humanity since the time of Adam and Eve when they fell. 
and that has been to bring man back to God. The whole Old Testament disposition, its dealings, providential dealings, was all for one purpose. God had one recognized people, the Jews. He had one purpose in that nation. All other operations were to one end. All their worship pointed to that one end, to bring back the nations to the true knowledge of God and to bring in the Messiah of the world. Jesus Christ had but one interest in coming to this earth. And you remember I spoke yesterday about this one purpose. It's found in the first epistle of John in the third chapter. And that was to utterly destroy the works of the devil in our lives. His second coming again to Bartleman, waits for but this one thing. When this gospel shall have been preached in all the world, then shall the end come. The curse will be lifted. Is the modern church working with all of her resources for this one purpose? Now, that certainly does not mean the selfish heaping up of property and riches more than we really need. It does not mean getting all that we want for ourselves and then tossing the Lord a dollar in the offering plate that we really don't need. We've had the order completely reversed since the fall of the early church. God requires exactly the same consecration of every person. And here is where the Ananias and Sapphira business has come in, not one-tenth in his dispensation, but all. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are to be 100% for him at all times. We belong to him. He has created us and bought us back. He has redeemed us after we have mortgaged his property, not ours, to the devil. In no sense do we own ourselves. We have been redeemed back with the blood. How long would it take? or have taken to evangelize the whole world under this rule. Is the church moving normally in divine order? No, since the early church and today, the church has become largely hybrid, mongled. It is full of selfishness and disobedience, and corruption. Its kingdom has become of this world rather than a heavenly citizenship calling with spiritual weapons. This is Frank Bartleman. What he's written is literally true. When we try to walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and then the church becomes apostate, as the Christian church has. It's only been a few men and women who were utterly sold out to the Lord through the centuries of the church. Within the first 200 years, the church had already begun to dramatically slide away from what Jesus had spoken, and by the 300s, it was gone. Then there are instances when the church, in part, returned to Jesus. The Waldensians, 
the French Waldensians were an astonishing group of holy people. Then came the revival in the Great Reformation, and Luther came bringing forth the gospel of justification by faith. Unfortunately, he only did a partial job. Instead of imparted righteousness, Luther taught imputed righteousness. He was still too much a part of the Catholic Church and the rebellion against all of the wickedness that had gone on for so many years in the buying of one's salvation. And then there have been great revivals where God has come and thoroughly uncovered, as he did at Azuzu Street, what the gospel was. And I want to tell you that no one at Azuzu Street and no one who was a part of that whole great movement that that brought forth more Christians than any other spiritual movement in history. The great preaching of George Whitfield, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, the great preaching of Charles Finney. They all believed the same thing, and that was that a man or woman had to absolutely renounce all sin and be utterly, totally consecrated to Jesus Christ. But the wickedness of the apostate church finally took over. And today we have a church that is unrecognizable by Scripture, filled with every kind of wickedness. There's going to have to be another great turning, a turning back to heaven. If you look at the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution, The French Revolution was about turning one's heart to a unified front and submitting. The American Revolution was about the independence of every man and woman with a God-given right to serve and worship Almighty God. Why the difference? Well, because God brought forth Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles and John Wesley. He brought forth pastors who preached in the pulpit the natural law of God, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, and utter and total consecration to the will of God. Today, we in America say that there are quite a few different genders. A man is not a man, and a woman is not a woman. A man and a man are welcome to marry, or a woman and a woman can welcome to marry, or whatever funny combination the sinful, wicked heart of man can come up with, and the church doesn't know how to respond to it. Well, I'll be very clear with you. God only made two genders. He made a man and he made a woman. He didn't create marriage for John and Mark or Mary and Alice. He made marriage. He invented marriage. It was God's idea to be between a man and a woman, that they could produce children who could be apart of the kingdom of heaven. Today, the beauty of the rainbow has been stolen from Scripture 
The rainbow was a symbol in scripture of God's covenant, grace with man. But today the rainbow has been stolen away from the church by the homosexual, transsexual agenda. I want to tell you today, the rainbow belongs to Jesus, not to the homosexual. The rainbow must be reclaimed by the church, as well as everything else that's been stolen by the wickedness of this apostate world and apostate church. Now, I want to take you to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to speak in a very clear way about what would cause us not to be able to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. Rest, again, in the Greek and in the Hebrew means cessation, stopping. But the deeper meaning is place of repose, a bedroom, God's bedroom. What is it that keeps us from being free to enter into the bedroom of God and share the closest intimacy, even the intimacy that is a a parable of husband and wife? Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, Consequently, may we fear lest a promise being left open to enter into his rest, anyone from among you might think to have missed it. For indeed, we are having the gospel preached to us even as they, but the word of hearing did not benefit them, not having been united with faith after having heard. Always what God does with his people is he brings a very clear, straight word calling for repentance, calling for a new creature, calling out of the molestation of the devil, calling us into relationship with Jesus. He speaks the word, the rhema. That's what the scriptures are. They are the rhema of God. They are the breathed word of God. So this rhema is spoken. And we have to combine that spoken word with faith. If you look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we find the word of God is spoken And then we find the great men and women of Scripture coming in alignment with that word that was spoken. Now we, the ones having believed, enter into the rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. Even though the works have been finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said, as we know, concerning the seventh day in this manner. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And in that place, again, they will not enter into my rest. Jesus, when he created the earth, on the seventh day after his creation was finished, rested on the seventh day, He rested with Adam and Eve. This was a time of very intimate fellowship. Now, he's saying God rested on the seventh day. And then he says, but they will not enter into my rest. That is, that place of absolute intimacy with Jesus. Why? because they have one foot in the world and one foot trying to stretch it to be in the world of Jesus. You cannot be in both. For then, 
it remains for some to enter into it. And the ones at an earlier time, having heard the gospel preached to them, did not enter in because of disobedience. We need to focus on that for just a moment, and then there's another passage we'll look at as well. The reason they were not able to enter into the rest of Jesus is because they were walking in disobedience to Jesus. The children of Israel continually walked in unbelief, and that unbelief led them to walk in disobedience. When we don't enter into the rest of Jesus, but instead we choose what we want, we then begin to walk in disobedience to the Lord. The book of James tells us that the devil comes and he puts bait out for us in the area where he knows we're the weakest. So he'll cause someone to say something or do something that cuts across what you believe or what you want, and you'll get angry. Why? Well, because the devil brought that person to bait you, and you fell for it. Or he can lay the bait out for money. He can create a real need in your life for finances. And then you'll get angry about it and you'll say, I have to have this and I'm going to get it no matter what. The bait was taken. Instead of being concerned about our brother or a sister, instead of taking care of the poor, we say, I have to have that. I have my bills to pay. I have to pay off my debt. Well, yes, you have to be responsible until you put it all in the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus becomes responsible for it. And you simply walk in obedience in the joy and the life in Jesus, doing exactly what he tells you to do. Now, please, this is not hard. We know what is right, and we know what is wrong, and we know when we're just going our own way, and we're doing what we want to do. And we think it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Everything in the Christian life matters. It matters whether you're walking in your own will and your own desires or whether you are walking in the one central focus of Jesus, and that is the salvation of the lost and the dying and the loving of your brother and your sister. If you're not walking in the, in the passionate concern for the lost, and you're not loving your brother or your sister, then you're walking in things that are not the will of God for you. You're being caught in the lust of the flesh, in the pride of life, and you're in trouble. Today, if you may hear his voice, may you not harden your hearts. Well, what does he mean? Well, I know what I want to do. I know what Jesus wants me to do. But I can say no to that very quickly and very easily, and and I can do it by giving way to how I feel and blocking the call of Jesus to do this his way. I'm a pro at that. I've done it so many times in my life where I know what I should do, but I really don't want to do it. Why? Because my flesh wants something else. Yesterday, I was sent on a mission by Jesus. 
but it meant I was going to have to spend almost two hours in rush hour traffic. And I hate driving in rush hour traffic. I don't like the stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, stop and wait. I hate that. I get all tight. But that's what I had to do yesterday. Why? Because Jesus gave me an assignment. I didn't want to do it. My selfish heart wanted to rise up and say, come on. This is not really necessary. Yes, it is. And on the other hand, there are times when Jesus wants me to do something. And I'm just busy. I've got a whole agenda going. I don't have time to do it. I don't glorify Jesus. I am absolutely determined in the spirit of the living God to never refuse the Holy Spirit again or to delay the Holy Spirit again. I've made a covenant with Jesus for instant obedience to his spirit. I'm not going to go where the devil lays out his bait for me. I know where he's going to lay bait out for me. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go and look at the bait to see how it smells or how it looks. I'm not going to do it. I mean, there's a reason why I don't walk in the ice cream shop or the donut shop. Because I love ice cream and I love donuts. I'm not going to walk there. I know I do not want to allow myself to be in a place where I am tempted. I've been dealing with the Lord over this question of a lonely heart. And I've been saying, Lord, you're the answer. I'm not going to go where I'll be tempted to enter into conversation or enter into relationships that are not pleasing to you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try to keep people happy. I'm going to go the way of the cross and the way of resurrection. Christmas is a, a great temptation for me. It has been a time when I have been filled with the spirit of Christmas, the excitement and the busyness and the shopping and the the food, the parties. This year I did not go to one Christmas party. Why? Because I've made a decision in my heart that I will not allow myself to be caught in the spirit of Christmas. Now, does that mean I'm not going to be kind and give gifts to poor? No, I will do that. I am doing that. Does it mean I'm not going to give gifts to pagans and talk to them about Jesus? No, I'm doing that. Why? Because I'm in the spirit of Jesus, not the spirit of Christmas. I'm not in the commercialization. I'm not in the obligation to buy this gift and that gift. I mean, if if I give to you a, a gift card for $50 and you give me a gift card for $50, what kind of game are we playing? No, I want to give gifts to people who can't give back to me. And what Jesus tells me to give, what the Holy Spirit tells me to give. That's what I want to do. Now, I've learned that if I get caught in the spirit of Christmas, and then Christmas is over, 
then that spirit is gone, and now the lights look gaudy and ugly, and the tree looks gaudy and ugly. And some people try to extend that spirit of Christmas for as long as they can and drag it out. I don't. I know when Christmas is past, that spirit will leave. And many times in the past, I have been left depressed and lonely. My expectations were not met. December 25 probably has more emotional packaging than any other date of the year. The highest expectations, the buildup, the letdown. I remember one year. I cleaned out and I had two drawers in a chest of drawers with my brother. I literally cleaned out one drawer to make room for all of the Christmas gifts I was going to get from mom and dad and my brothers and, and people. And that night when I went to bed, Christmas night, I put all of my gifts in that drawer and it, it didn't fill even a fourth of that drawer. I looked at it and I said, was that all this was about? Is that all I received? What a scam. And that was the beginning of my complete rebellion against the spirit of Christmas. Not the spirit of giving, the selfish spirit of Christmas. It's a pagan spirit. And I said, no, I'm not going to go there anymore. And from then on, I began to focus on what I could give, not on what I could get. And emotionally, what I could give, and not on what I could get. (laughs) So, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for this Christmas. I'm going to go to three of my neighbors, four of my neighbors, and I'm giving them Christmas gifts. I'm just putting on it. God bless you. Thank you for being a good neighbor. And they know I've already invited them to come to worship in my home. I'm also going to do the same with Muslims and pagans. I've already started. I also give gifts to servants of Jesus, to men and women who sacrifice their time and energy in the service of Jesus in very concrete ways. I give gifts to those. Not because it's Christmas, but because it's Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we give these gifts. And so, I'm not going to go where the devil baits me. I'm not going to take his bait. I am fully given to Jesus. Now, listen. Now, if Joshua gave them rest, this is Hebrews 4, verse 8. If Joshua gave them rest, he would not have spoken concerning another day after that. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is not referring to the seventh-day Sabbath. This is referring to entering into salvation. Jesus is our Sabbath. Verse 10, for the one having entered into his rest, even he himself rested from his works as God rested from his own. In other words, I've rested from trying to earn salvation. I've rested from all forms of legalism. I have rested from any hope in the flesh. My entire hope is found in Jesus Christ and his precious blood. So may every effort be made 
to enter into that rest that no one may fail or fall by the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active to make things happen. Uh, That's a literal translation. The word in the Greek is the same word for which we get the word in our English language of generator, producer of something. So this literal translation takes for the word of God is living and active to make things happen. Why do I read the word of God? Because it makes things happen in me. And sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, even able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. One of the things that I have learned about making my life easy in Jesus is that it requires that I recognize that he knows the deepest desires of my heart. He understands the twisted wickedness of every man's inner soul. We must come before Jesus and confess in absolute nakedness before him every area of disagreement with him. Now, this is going to require fasting and prayer because that strengthens our ability to be naked before God. Salvation requires absolute nakedness before God. Adam and Eve dressed themselves in their fig leaves And Jesus came, and he had to remove those fig leaves. And they were left absolutely naked before him. And then he clothed them in skins. He clothed them in the the lamb skins. He is the lamb who was crucified for us. We must be dressed in his righteousness. We must be dressed in his robe of white linen. We're told in the book of Revelation that that white linen are the good obedience, the actions of the saints. Those good deeds, those actions do not flow out of legalism. They flow out of the mighty power of the blood of Jesus to dress us in the way to make us holy, separate from the world. If your heart condemns you, it needs to come fully naked before Jesus. For it is what is hidden in the heart that condemns a man. It's what's hidden that we are unwilling to deal with. Now, some of you, you would say to me, Pastor, I don't know what this sin is in my heart, but I feel ill at ease. I am not at peace. I am not at rest. That means that there are still areas in your heart hidden from you that need to be brought fully to the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand what this is, but I don't like it, and I don't want it, and I know you don't condemn me. I know you wash me and cleanse me and make me holy. And I'm asking now, would you please show me what belief I'm holding, what false understandings I have in my heart that prevent me from being passionately involved with you, Jesus, that cause me not to have any conviction for the lost and the dying, that cause me to be lukewarm, that cause me to be dead to you, Jesus, and alive to me. This is going to require 
fasting and prayer. Some spirits are only cast out by fasting and prayer. And it's going to require you to bend every energy and every effort. Every energy and every effort to uncover in the spirit what is blocking you with Jesus. And you will begin to be identifying by the spirit beliefs that are false. You will begin to identify actions that are in opposition to his will. Decisions and vows that you made as a child that must be broken. Covenants that you've made with people that are wrong, that must be broken. That you must be forgiven for. You must agonize before Jesus. And there is a message on our webpage, I believe it's still there, by my father in the faith, David Wilkerson, where he talks about agonizing before God. There is a work of agonizing that we must enter into if we are going to have the passion of Jesus placed in our hearts. Charles Finney says, if you have no conviction about the lost and the dying, it's because you haven't even thought about them. Personalize that pagan person with someone you dearly love and begin to think about the consequence for them if they do not come to Jesus Christ and find salvation. And as you agonize about that, as you think about it, as you pray about it, a great spirit of conviction will come upon your heart. And if you walk through your day casually, eating what you want to eat, you know, I I see people guzzling Coca-Cola, either the real thing or the diet or Diet Pepsi, or many other sodas. There's no awareness in their heart that this is the most destructive thing they could do to their body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that they're sinning against the Most High God, or they're smoking, or they're drinking large amounts of alcohol. They're they're winos. And yet they say they're Christians, but they're a long way from Jesus. Or listening to music that is not of the spirit, but is of the hip hop or the rock and roll or the flesh with Christian words. And so somehow it's baptized wickedness. We become so casual. We participate so easily with the world, the flesh and the devil. And the bait is all laid out for us and and we succumb to it. And we follow the way of darkness. And then we wonder, as we sit down to watch that movie, or as we sit down to eat that food that is clearly not in our best interest, or drink that which is not godly, or go places for entertainment that is clearly not where Jesus would go. My father would not allow me when I was a young man to go to the movies. And I finally said, Dad, why? There's nothing bad at the theater. It's the seats are clean. The floors are clean. We watch a movie. What's the deal? He said to me, Ray, instead of having dinner with us tonight, why don't you go downtown to a garbage can and see if you could find your dinner in the garbage can? I said, come on, Dad. Why would I go to a garbage can for dinner when I'm going to have a wonderful dinner with you here with Mom? He said, when you go to the theater, you're trying to find food in the garbage can. And there may be a few good bites of food there. But it's a garbage can. It's filthy. 
It's disease-laden. So why go to a filthy garbage can to get a little bite of food? If you're hungry, go to Jesus. He is the bread of life. But see, we've become so hardened in our hearts that we think we're free to eat what we want, drink what we want, go where we want, watch what we want, talk to whomever we want, and talk to them in the way we want, to dress the way we want to dress. You know, I just don't get what's going on in our culture. Why Why do the men and women, especially the women, why do they all want to get undressed and show their nakedness? It's ungodly. It's wicked. And yet I see people go to church dressed like little prostitutes. And dads and moms let their girls go that way. Well, why? Because mom's that way. Look, we're going to have to change. And we're going to have to go after Jesus hard. It's not hard to be a Christian. What's hard is when we try to follow the ways of the world and call ourselves a Christian too. And so, today the church has just cheapened it down and said, well, you're going to always be a sinner. So, as one preacher said, a national preacher, you would know him instantly. He said, Hey, go to church and just have a good time. You cannot lose your salvation no matter what you do. So go and play and have a good time with the people who are there. He's an utterly wicked man, an ungodly man. He's the the man being spoken of in the book of Jude. Please understand today. May we come near then to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time of need. Well, we're out of time for the broadcast today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. We're now past the halfway mark for the month and we're still a little over $2,000 short. I'm wondering, would you like to help? If you would, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or, if you would, just go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find all the information there. Someone just text me, Funky Dude, you act like a hundred years ago showing your ankles if you were a woman wasn't considered, it was considered practically prostitution. Well, this man is a worldly man. He doesn't know Jesus. He's a part of the worldly church system. I'm not advocating legalism. I'm advocating Jesus and not this devilish world. So, Mr. Funky Dude, I'll pray for you. I'm sorry for you. You're not a Christian. You're a man of the world and the flesh and the devil. Repent. Repent. 